This is a Rooster Teeth production. February 4th, 2015. TransAsia Airways Flight 235, an ATR-72-600 with 58 people on board, is taking off from Taipei's Songshan Airport, bound for Kinmen Airport in Kinmen, Taiwan. Just 37 seconds after takeoff, the master warning alarm alerts the crew that their number two engine has flamed out. The plane reaches a maximum altitude of 1,630 feet over the densely populated city of Taiwan before banking 80 degrees to the left, clipping a taxi cab on a highway, then falling upside down into the Keelung River. 43 people perish and only 15 manage to survive. Shockingly, the final moments and the impact with the taxi cab are captured on another vehicle's dash cam. Investigators struggle to figure out how, with their right engine flamed out, the plane managed to end up banked 80 degrees to the left. Find out why on this episode of Black Box Down. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Black Box Down. It's Gus and Chris here with more aviation stories. Hello, Chris. Man, that's like some movie stuff. That's a scene out of a movie. They're hitting cars. and If you watch, well, we'll post the dash cam footage on our social media at Black Box Down Pod on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to see it, please give it a follow. It does. I mean, if... That's a really good way to say it. it. I mean, it looks like a computer-generated movie shot. Like, if you saw that in a movie, you'd be like, oh, yeah, there's no way that that actually really happened. That, yeah. you know, it's really terrible to see. And, and you know, the, this car is just driving down the highway and a plane hits the car in front of it and the road, you know? Oh, yeah. I can't imagine driving down the road or being the person in the taxi that got hit. Imagine, like, you hired a taxi, you're just driving down the highway and the next thing you know, you got hit by a plane. Like, it's crazy. Like, the plane is basically... Like I said, it's 80 degrees, it's almost 90 degrees to the left. So it's like flying with its left wing down. It's the left wing that hits uh, the oh, taxi so and the highway. I So they were like facing, I don't even know how to say it. I'm like. Right. The, the wings are, it's like the left wing is pointed to the ground. Yeah. And the right wing is pointed up at the sky. That's insane. So it's not like the body of the plane. It's the tip of the left wing that makes impact with the vehicle and with the highway. That's like uh, Inception or something where like, like the, 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 <laughs> like gravity shifting or something. I don't know why you said Inception, but I was thinking like a Christopher Nolan movie. I don't know why. Like, like, like that. That kind of scene. It seemed like something you'd see. You know, it, it maybe I'm thinking of like the Dark Knight Rises. You know, when they have that plane uh-huh. scene at the beginning. But it made me think of like something you would see in a Christopher Nolan film. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 unbelievable footage, and the footage came out. You know, pretty quickly after this accident happened. I mean, I, I can't imagine getting that footage and then like sitting on it. I'm sure whoever yeah. you know captured it in their dash cam tried to get it out as quickly as possible. So this is kind of a. A recent incident, you know, like I said. Yeah, 2015. Yeah, you know, this was a a, a flight, you know, from Taipei to Kinmen back in February 2015. So, I mean, this happened just over six years ago. And I think that kind of speaks to the current day ubiquity of cameras, right? Like we Mm -hmm. talked about in when we did the Miracle on the Hudson episode, the U.S. Airways 1549, how there's only that one closed circuit camera footage of that incident happening and how yeah. at the time you know cameras were not as ubiquitous so like that's all you have and nowadays the cameras are everywhere so if there is an incident you typically see you know footage of what happened or you get multiple angles and mm-hmm. there's just cameras all over the place now well and also even like inside the planes i feel right. like people are filming like that recent fire and they were just like there's footage from the passengers. Yeah, and I've seen, you know, also like footage from planes that have to ditch and, you know, land in the water and like footage from inside when people are like getting out of the plane. Yeah. Uh, it's just, they're everywhere now. You get, it's a lot more detailed. You know, you get a lot more information about what happened. This particular incident was unusual for a different, I always say they're unusual. This one was unusual for a different reason. Mm-hmm. Both pilots on this flight had the rank of captain. Okay. You know, normally we say captain or first officer. 
since they're both captains, we're probably going to say pilot flying and pilot monitoring or pilot and co-pilot. Just I'm, I'm putting that out there right now. You know, typically when there's, you know, you have your, your captain and your first officer, one of them is the pilot flying, who's the person actually, you know, manipulating the controls. And the other one's the pilot monitoring, who's like double checking everything and making sure that, you know, the right decisions are being made. I just want to clear that up right now before we get any further uh-huh. into this episode. So there was Captain, and, and I apologize if I mispronounce these names. Uh, uh, it was Captain Liao Chin Sung, who was 42 mm-hmm. years old and had 4,914 flight hours. And the co-pilot was Captain Liu Si Chung, who was 45 and had 6,922 flight hours. Okay. And on top of that, there was also an observer in the cockpit. And he was sitting in the jump seat. And his name was Hung Ping Chung, and he was 63 years old, and he had 16,121 flight hours. Observer isn't just, he was like getting a ride? So this was like a newer version of this plane, this ATR-72-600. And the observer was there to kind of like learn the ropes about this new plane and how it was different than the other plane he was used to flying. So he was there just to like, you know, learn what are the differences in this plane and, you know, how how am I... Because this is a plane that he presumably was going to be flying also. Yeah, like a teaching assistant or teacher study. What do they have those? Like a teacher in training kind of thing, whenever they observe the class and just kind of watch. Yeah, he just wants to see, you know, how this plane works and, you know, what's the, what the deal with it is. In addition to that, there were two flight attendants on board and 53 passengers. Okay. And just to clear it up, I don't, I don't remember if I said this earlier, the pilot flying was the first captain I mentioned, Lao Chin Sung. Okay. And uh, he was the pilot in command and was the pilot flying during takeoff and when this entire incident happened. Okay. The aircraft used, like I said, was an ATR-72-600 twin turboprop. And uh, the ATR-72 is like one of those smaller passenger planes with propellers instead of mm-hmm. like jet engines. Okay, I was wondering because didn't recognize the name of that plane and it's and they only had 58 people. So it sounded like a small one. Yeah, it's like you've probably seen these. They're normally like commuter planes. They're the kind that have the wings high on the top of the fuselage and the propeller on each side. Okay. You know, th- those are normally used for uh, short range commuter flights. Okay. And uh, typically it seats between 72 and 78 passengers. This particular plane in this incident was less than a year old, uh, had its first flight on March 28th of 2014, and it was delivered to the airline April 15th of 2014. So like I said, you know, this was a newer plane. That's why they had the the observer in the cockpit, mm-hmm. you know, kind of learning the ropes about this plane. There were four flights that this crew was assigned to fly on this day. It was a flight from Songshan Airport in Taipei to Kinmen, a flight back to Taipei, then to Kinmen again, then back to Taipei. So basically they were doing two round-trip flights between Taipei and Kinmen. Yeah, okay. This particular accident took place on the third leg from Taipei to Kinmen. So they'd already done one round-trip to Kinmen, and now they were going back again. Okay. And those first legs went by uneventfully, and they arrived at Songshan at 10, 12 a.m. Taipei time. How long is that trip anyway? This flight, uh, it's a real quick trip. It's only about an hour and 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, we're based out of Austin. I mention that every now and then. It's like, for us, it'd be the equivalent, basically, of like flying to Dallas, maybe, or like, yeah. you know, just like a quick hour trip. So the flight was scheduled to depart at 10.45 a.m. And they began their takeoff roll at 10.51 a.m. on runway 10. Four seconds after beginning the takeoff roll, the co-pilot mentioned that the automatic takeoff power control system was not armed. The pilot flying responded with, really? And then, okay, continue takeoff. And the pilot monitoring replied, we will continue. Seven seconds later, the pilot monitoring said, oh, there it is. Automatic takeoff power control system armed. Hmm. The aircraft became airborne at 10.52 The crew selected an altitude of 5,000 feet and an airspeed of 115 knots on the autopilot. And what happens here is like, so that automatic takeoff power control system, what happens is if there's an engine failure during takeoff, the automatic takeoff power control system provides up trimming 
of takeoff power to the remaining engine combined with automatic feathering of the failed engine. So basically, it's just a system that's like if there's an engine failure during takeoff, this system takes control and helps the plane stay airborne, basically. Well, you say engine failure during takeoff. Is that a common thing? Like, what do you mean? No, I mean, it's just, it's, this is just a safety system. Like, I think we've talked about some incidents before where, you know, a, a plane's starting to take off and then one engine goes out. You know, it's it's not an ideal time because, uh-huh. you know, at this this is the time when they're trying to really get a lot of power out of their engines so that the plane can become airborne. So if there's an engine failure during takeoff, they really need to make sure the plane can get off the ground. Because like we've talked about yeah. before, once you reach that V1 speed, there's not enough space for a plane to stop. Like, they need to get airborne. Yeah. So, you know, this system just helps uh, for safety purposes. It's a boost. It's like, oh, there's not an engine. Bo- give it all power, like automatically. Yeah, give the other engine more power, you know, set the trim on the plane so that you maximize your lift. Okay. Those kinds of things. And, you know, what happened here was that four seconds into their takeoff, you know, the co-pilot realizes the system's not working. And then a few seconds later, it starts working. Hmm. Right after takeoff, at 10.52, the Songhan Tower instructed them to contact Taipei Approach. The aircraft then began a right turn while climbing through 1,000 feet. Seconds later, during the turn climbing through 1,200 feet, the flight data recorder indicated that the number one engine was operating in an uptrim condition with its bleed valve closed. This corresponded with the beginning of an automatic takeoff power control system sequence, it's that system we talked about, mm-hmm. which included the auto feathering of the number two propellers. So, and just so people are clear, like if you're sitting in the plane, the number one engine is the one on the left, and the number two is the one on the right. Mm-hmm. And how many engines does this plane have? Just two? two. One propeller on each wing. I, and I just want to clarify one thing. I said that it auto-feathered the number two engine. Feathering the propellers is where the propeller blades are rotated parallel to the airflow to reduce drag. So if, like, if you think about it, I, I, I don't know. Like I'm going to do my best to explain this. Uh-huh. So and if you've ever looked at propellers, the propeller blades, they're kind of angled, right? They almost like look like they're scooping the air and pulling the plane forward. Yeah. When a propeller is feathered, basically the blade becomes parallel to the body of the plane. That way it's not creating any wind resistance. Oh. It's not scooping the air anymore. So basically it's not generating any power. It's, you know, the, the, the propellers are turned parallel to the plane to reduce drag. Typically, this would happen if there's a problem with the engine. Gotcha. All right. So it's just, it's just like, hey, I'm not going to mess things up more. <laughs> right. You know, it's allowing the pilots to go through their checklist or whatever they need to do, either restart the engine or... Mm-hmm you know, shut it down or whatever the situation may call for. So as propeller two feathered, like I said, the master warning in the cockpit enunciated and the engine warning display showed engine two flame out at takeoff. The pilot then disconnected the autopilot as the aircraft climbed through an altitude of 1300 feet. Three seconds later, the propeller feathering sequence finished and the pilot flying stated, I will pull back engine one throttle. The pilot monitoring responded with, wait a second, cross check but engine one power lever angle was already being pulled back from 75 degrees to 66 degrees. And they're worried at this point, right? Right. An engine has flamed out at takeoff. You know, they're still really low over a densely populated city. Something's wrong and they need to take care yeah. of it. But I don't know if you heard, I've already said a huge problem here. Oh no, I was saying. <laughs> yeah. Engine two flamed out and engine two is the one that feathered. The uh-huh. pilot said, I'm going to pull back the engine one throttle. Oh, he, he thought it was the wrong engine? Yeah. He's pulling back the throttle on the one remaining engine. <gasps> oh. At this point, they climbed through 1,485 feet at a speed of 106 knots with a heading of 131 degrees. And the plane started turning left at an airspeed of 106 knots. Mm-hmm. At 10.53, the two pilots started going through their checklist. The pilot monitoring said, engine flame out, check. The pilot flying responded, check. The pilot monitoring said, check, up trim, yes, auto feather, yes. The pilot flying said, okay, 
Then the pilot monitoring told the other to watch the speed because the indicated airspeed had dropped to 101 knots. The mm-hmm. pilot flying then announced pullback number one, and engine number one power lever angle was reduced to 49 degrees. Mm. While this was happening, the pilot monitoring said, okay, now number two engine flame out confirmed. The pilot flying responded with okay, but the power level stayed at 49 degrees. So the pilot monitoring is saying engine two is broken. Pilot flying is pulling back the engine one throttle saying, okay, okay, okay. Uh, so did he, he thought he was saying one? Who knows if he was even listening? I mean... I can't speculate to that, but based on these interactions, it sounds like he's just saying, okay, yeah, okay. Like, he's stuck in his own head. He's not actually listening to what's being said. At this point, a few seconds later, the aircraft climbed to 1,630 feet, which was the highest altitude that they achieved, Mm -hmm. and their airspeed was 102 knots. The indicated airspeed mode then reverted to pitched hold mode, and this happens when the airplane does not have sufficient energy to continue climbing with the selected airspeed for a 20-second period of time. This basically just means they don't have the power to climb anymore. Yeah. One second after this happened, the stall warning went off and the stick shaker activated. And we talked about this. Mm -hmm. Stick shaker just like rattles their controls to let them know that they're close to a stall. Yeah. The pilot monitoring then said, wait a second, throttle, throttle. The engine two power lever angle was then advanced to 86 degrees. Oh. Yeah, right. The wrong one. The wrong one. And the engine one power lever angle was reduced to 34.5 degrees, which is idle position. So basically they idled their remaining engine and are throttling up the, the feathered engine. The one that's not doing anything. The one that's, oh. Right, it's doing, essentially doing nothing. They were still in their left turn with a bank angle of 10 to 20 degrees and were descending at a speed of 101 knots. The pilot flying then called for the number one propellers to be feathered and the stick pusher activated several times. So the pilot flying still making mistakes. He says, you know, let's feather the oh. working engine and the stick pusher activates. And we talked about the stick pusher. It's like it automatically pushes the stick down to try to prevent a stall, to try to increase speed. Uh-huh. But they're turning right now. They're turning, and they're still really low. He's doing everything right for the wrong engine? Correct. At 10.53 and 35 seconds, the pilot monitoring declared a mayday to air traffic control and tried to engage the autopilot twice, but failed. The observer asked why things were the way they were, and the pilot monitoring responded with, both oh. sides lost. Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Then a couple seconds later, he said, no engine flame out. We lost both sides. The pilot flying then said, restart the engine when the altitude was 545 feet with a speed of 105 knots. Which one is he talking about? Right. It's ambiguous. The engine one lever was then moved out of the shutoff position and began to spool up at an altitude of 400 feet. So at this point, you know, the engine one lever is given some throttle finally. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. The plane began to bank to the left and the pilot flying said, wow, pulled back wrong side of throttle. Was that him realizing then? Yeah. he, He realized at that point he was doing this to the wrong engine. But at this point, you know, they're already really low. It's too late. The plane entered a stall from which it couldn't recover. That bank angle increased from 10 degrees to 80 degrees. The left wing collided with a taxi driving on an overpass, and the wing impacted a fence and a light pole at the end of the overpass located southwest of the Keelung River. The aircraft continued to bank left and entered the river inverted. So basically, it just continued to bank left and uh, hit the river upside down. Upside down? Like 180 degrees? Yes. Oh, my God. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, they're already, it's, it's, you know, when the plane settles in a river, it's either going to be upside down or right side up, right? Like it really can't end up on its side. Like it's going to roll. Yeah. I just, I've never seen a plane crash land or ditch upside down. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like ditching is, I mean, I don't think they intended to ditch, but yeah, when yeah. you, uh, when you don't have control of the plane, you're going to hit however your momentum is going, you know? Yeah. So all three pilots and one flight attendant were killed along with 39 passengers. 
There were 14 serious injuries and one minor injury from the passengers. And actually, the taxi driver sustained serious injuries as well. And the taxi passenger sustained minor injuries. Yeah. And the aircraft was destroyed due to the impact forces when it hit the river. And the entire flight from takeoff clearance to crashing took three minutes and 23 seconds. That's super short. So they were only in the air like a minute. Yeah, it was incredibly short, a minute or two, maybe. The moment the plane hit the taxi was actually captured on a dash cam, like I mentioned earlier. And like I said, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll post that in social media. So the investigation was carried out by the Taiwanese Aviation Safety Council. During the investigation, examination of the engine indicated no pre-existing anomalies affecting their normal operation. And according to the cockpit voice recorder and flight data recorder, the automatic takeoff power control system had not armed during the takeoff roll, but then armed in the later part of the roll. And then the uncommanded auto feather happened. Mm-hmm. I just want to say right now, I may be abbreviating the automatic takeoff power control system to ATPCS. So if you, the rest of this episode, if you hear me say ATPCS, it's the automatic takeoff power control system that we're talking about here. Yeah. The council examined the ATPCS along with the automatic feather unit. Torque signal continuity relevant items, including wiring harnesses and torque sensors were also checked. So these are basically just systems that measure the power of the engine. You know, torque is like a rotational force. So these are just the sensors that monitor the engine, monitor the propeller to see to make mm-hmm. sure that it's spinning at a p- appropriate speed. And there were four torque sensors that were examined. And the left torque sensor of engine two that connects to the number two automatic feather unit was found with an open circuit. It was determined that the wires broke due to the impact, but it was also found that there was a compromise in the soldering joints inside the engine two automatic feather unit. So basically, there was an unstable signal path resistance in the connection from the engine two torque sensor and the number two uh, automatic feather unit. And this may have produced an intermittent discontinuity of the torque signal. What this is saying is, there was a problem with the torque sensor in the number two uh, mm-hmm. engine, and the signal may not have been solid. It may have been coming in and out, making the automatic feather unit think that the um, engine was losing torque. Okay, so it, it, you're saying when it started doing the feathering automatically, that it shouldn't have done that? Right. It, the Basically, the system, there was a problem with the soldering of the electronics, and mm-hmm. that led to the, the system thinking that the torque was not appropriate for that engine, and it made the system think that the engine was failing, even though the engine was not failing. And what happens is that ATPCS monitors that torque, and when that torque gets below 18.5%, it thinks that there's an engine failure, and it starts feathering the engine. So because there was bad soldering, the signal was not coming through correctly to the system, the ATPCS thought the torque was dying and engaged the auto feather because it thought the engine had gone out, even though the engine was working fine. Yeah. Arming of the ATPCS also requires that the torque signal on both engines is greater than 46%. And if the signal is disrupted, the operation would be rendered unreliable. So the flight data recorder actually showed that all the conditions were met for the ATPCS to be armed. The discontinuity in the torque sensor caused the ATPCS to show as not armed. So remember, that's why I said it wasn't armed at first and then it was armed. You know, there was that discontinuity. The, the, the poor signal was causing it to act a little weird. Okay, so it was just, yeah, it was like a on and off. Right, you ever have, I don't know, like a light in your house or like something that's mm-hmm. going out, an electronics that's going out, like you might shake it or like bang it and then it starts to work. You know, it's the same kind of thing. The, the yeah. signal wasn't solid. So it was, yeah. it was starting to act up and show weird signs, weird symptoms. That number two engine was also in normal operating parameters and the discontinuity between the torque sensor and the auto feather unit triggered the auto feathering sequence. Again, that just reiterates what I said. The engine was fine. It was just the signal wasn't coming through. 
Mm-hmm. In fact, a few days after this crash, there was another ATR-72 for Transasia that experienced an uncommanded auto-feathering in flight. Oh. This other plane's automatic feather unit was examined, and it was found that both automatic feather units were manufactured in the same week and had similar compromised soldering joints that caused electrical disruptions leading auto-feather. Are those joints soldered by hand or machine? I guess it could go either way. I don't know the manufacturing uh, process for that particular part. But, I mean, it's pretty damning, though, that there's another plane having the same problem, and that part was manufactured the same week as Mm -hmm. this other part. It shows that there might be a bigger problem going on here. Yeah. According to TransAsia Airways policy for this kind of plane, the ATR-72-600, it's required for crews to reject the takeoff if the ATPCS did not arm, and the crews were trained to perform those procedures. Mm -hmm. Other pilots who fly these planes were interviewed, and they stated they would abort takeoff if this had happened to them. So whenever it was, he said it wasn't working, that was... Where were they in the takeoff at that point? They were four seconds into their takeoff roll. They had just started accelerating down the runway. So they should have been like, oh, shoot, stop, something's right. wrong. But then it flicked back on. How quickly after? Seven seconds. Into the takeoff or after he noticed it was wrong? After he noticed it was wrong. So 11 seconds total. Hmm. I don't know for certain. I would guess they had not hit V1 by that point. They probably still had time to stop. Hmm. But, you know, they continued anyway. Are you unhappy with your smile? You don't have to be. Thousands of people have used Candid, the clear, comfortable, removable, and practically invisible aligners to help straighten their teeth, and now they love their smile. Just like a story from Sharon H. here from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, she writes, I wore braces as a teenager. Flash forward 30 years, I had crowding on the bottom, and one of my teeth actually stuck out. That's when I made the decision to move forward with Candid, and I finally got my confidence back. And Candid's here to help straighten your teeth so you can fall in love with your smile, too. Your treatment's prescribed and closely monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement. You'll have the same quality care you'd get from an in-office orthodontist from the comfort and convenience of your own home. And while other companies use general dentists, Candid only works with orthodontists. With Candid, the same orthodontist who created your plan is with you from start to finish, so you never have to wonder how you're doing. The average Candid treatment is just six months. You'll start seeing results way before then, and it costs thousands less than traditional braces. So become your best you, straighten your teeth today. Right now, you can save $75 on Candid Starter Kit. Go to candidco.com slash blackboxdown. Use code blackboxdown. That's candidco.com slash blackboxdown. Code blackboxdown. Take advantage of this limited time offer to save $75 on your starter kit. That's the word candid, then the letter C and the letter O, dot com slash blackboxdown. Code blackboxdown. This episode of Black Box Down is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks ranging from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, languages, business, motivation, and more like original entertainment and now podcasts. They've also recently launched their Plus catalog where you get full access to thousands and thousands of select originals, audiobooks, and podcasts, including ad-free versions of popular shows as well as exclusive series. Love Audible. I've been talking about it for a long time. Actually, I still use it. I recently just downloaded a new book. I downloaded uh, Leviathan Wakes, which was the first book that the uh, series, The Expanse, the TV series The Expanse is based on. Done watching that show for now. So uh, I'm going to dive into the books. Uh, I'm going to start with book one and uh, try it out. I haven't started yet. Hopefully going to start later today, but uh, I'll let you know how it goes. But you should try out Audible. Uh, you, if you try it out, uh, let them know that we sent you. You can visit audible.com slash blackboxdown, or you can text blackboxdown to 500-500 to get Audible today. Try it out. Get a free credit. Get a book. You won't regret it. You can you can learn something. I mean, you don't have to listen to the book I listen to. I'm sure you'll, there's a book you're interested in. Uh, go check it out. They, I'm, I guarantee you they have all manner of audiobooks. Head over to audible.com slash blackboxdown or text blackboxdown to 500-500 to get Audible today. So obviously, like you, you know, like you picked up on here, the flight crew's actions were not 
consistent with expectations. However, that being said, there were no documented company policies, instructions, procedures, or notices communicating the requirement to reject takeoff if the ATPCS did not arm. So the other pilots said, you know, that they would reject takeoff if this happened to them. However, there was no formal procedure for that. There was mm-hmm. nothing in writing saying you have to do that. And it's easy to say it after the fact. Uh, it's like, uh, what do you say, like backseat driving kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. well, that's not what I would have done. Right. Yeah, but it did arm like seven seconds. I guess it's Correct. a long time when you're taking off. but And it's also a problem. Something's wrong. Yeah. That shouldn't be happening. In fact, the normal checklist for the 72-600 planes required the flight crew to check some of the takeoff weight regulations to determine if a takeoff could continue in the event of the ATPCS not arming. But in actuality, that procedure was for the older model plane, the 72500. Mm-hmm. This discrepancy had not been identified before this flight, and this could have led to some confusion in the cockpit. So before they even took off, there was checklists say, okay, if this thing doesn't work. The checklist said that they had to check the weight and check the weight regulations to make sure they could take off if the ATPCS didn't arm. But that wasn't actually a necessity for this plane. It was for the older model of the plane. It was just a weird thing. This, they yeah. got this new plane. The It's a little different, even to the point where there's another pilot observing to learn how to fly this particular plane. The council also noted that the crew was not following sterile cockpit procedures. And we've talked about this before. In certain critical parts of the flight, the crew should only talk about the flight, nothing else. They only be going through the checklist, only talking about what's relevant to the safety and the operation of the plane. Typically, it's like on takeoff and uh, on landing. You want to really make sure uh, there's no distractions for the crew. However, that being said, during the pushback, startup, taxi, and holding for takeoff, the pilot monitoring had a significant number of technical discussions and demonstrations of aircraft systems. His intention was to educate the observer, uh, you know, sitting in the cockpit, Mm -hmm. but the council saw this as a source of distraction that may have impeded communication and team building with the pilot flying and may have resulted in the omission of the pre-takeoff briefing. Mm. And then the pilot flying was responsible for the overall management and safety of the flight but he was not able to stabilize and configure the aircraft for single-engine operations. So when the feathering occurred, the pilot monitoring asked him to wait in the reduction of engine one power lever, but then the pilot flying continued. Uh, The pilot monitoring may not have noticed. The pilot flying also did not announce or confirm his belief that the number one engine flamed out, even though that would be the normal operating procedure. If he did announce his beliefs, it's possible the pilot monitoring would have had an opportunity to address the misdiagnosis. That's the wrong engine, yeah. Right. The council finds the engine shutdown process that happened as non-standard and unclear. And by the time the crew realized what was happening, it was too late. What does it look like? Is there like warnings like this engine isn't working? Like, Yeah, this plane, like I said, it's a newer plane. Uh, it has what they call uh, a glass cockpit. And that means like there's no traditional inst- like analog instruments. It's mm-hmm. all screens that give you mm. the information. Like a Tesla or something. Yeah, it's like just screens everywhere. So what happens is in this particular case, the plane thinks that the engine two has failed and it auto feathers it. On the screen, that's where the checklist appears. Like it, it knows, the plane says, engine two failure, auto feathering, and the checklist appears on the screen. And as you go through the checklist, like as you're doing the things that it's asking you to do, it's automatically checking them off and advancing and showing you step by step what you need to do. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's actually super high tech, super cool, but you know, it still failed to, to work here because the pilot flying, I guess, panicked and didn't, wasn't paying attention and did the wrong thing. And in fact, normally, like let's say in this case, you know, the number two engine should have had its throttle reduced. What will happen is one pilot will put their hand on the throttle that needs to stay put mm-hmm. and they'll make sure that it doesn't move while the other pilot will reach over and reduce throttle on the other engine. Oh. Like that's the way it's supposed to happen. But the pilot flying in this case was just, you know, grabbing at the throttle levers himself. Oh, he's just, yeah, it sounds like he just 
panicked and did everything wrong. Uh. Yeah. In fact, this was such a bad scenario that when the investigators, you know, went through the simulator and they tried to recreate this, Mm -hmm. they did a test where they said, you know, let's recreate all the variables. Let's put it all into the simulator. You know, let's have it Uh auto feather the uh, the number two engine. Let's see what happens if we don't touch the instruments. Uh And if they didn't touch anything, the plane recovered and continued to fly fine on its own. Oh, that's pretty bad. Yeah. Like if you remember, I said that the pilot, you know, when they reached 1300 feet, the pilot disengaged the autopilot and he like took over control. If he had just left the autopilot on and just left the plane, like not touched anything, Mm -hmm. the plane would have continued totally fine on its own. Oh my. Because I guess when there's two engines and only two engines in a plane, it's designed where it can still function okay with just one. If it's a two-engine plane, it can still operate with one. It's not supposed to, and yeah. you know they, they should land as quickly as they can, but uh, the plane should be fine. There's, there's no reason this accident should have happened. Yeah. You know, not to backseat drive, but he should have yeah. just left the autopilot <laughs> engaged, right? And yeah. like, every, everything would have been fine. It's like I've said before, the plane wants to fly. Like it's, uh-huh. it's then this, this plane, like I said, is advanced enough. It knows what the problem is. Uh, you know, it's, it's showing the checklists to the, the human pilots. If you had just not touched anything, it would have been okay. Is that, I mean, what the protocol is? It's like, let the autopilot continue and you just do the checklist? Is that what the... Right. Because what happens is when the autopilot was disengaged, then the pilot becomes overwhelmed with information and things to do. Okay. The proper procedure would have been to Mm -hmm. let the autopilot stay on and then begin running your checklists. Okay. And that's what they should have done. And that's what Mm -hmm. the pilot monitoring was trying to do. You know, he starts going through the checklist. But then the pilot flying is just kind of like going, yeah, yeah, okay, Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, but not actually doing anything. There were some findings related to probable cause. And uh, this is just kind of a review of some of the things that we said here. Okay. An intermittent signal discontinuity between the auto feather unit number two and the torque sensor may have caused the automatic takeoff power control system to not be armed steadily during takeoff roll and be activated during initial climb, which resulted in a complete ATPCS sequence, including the engine number two auto feathering. So just like we said, Mm -hmm. it had a bad signal, it thought number two engine failed, and it auto-feathered it because of that. The available evidence indicated that the intermittent discontinuity between the torque sensor and the number two auto-feather unit was probably caused by the compromised soldering joints inside the number two AFU. Again, there's a bad electronic. It was a bad soldering joint that was causing the signal to come in and out. Yeah. The flight crew did not reject the takeoff when the automatic takeoff power control system arm push button did not light during the initial stage of the takeoff roll. So again, it's saying... They probably should have rejected the takeoff when they saw that the ATPCS wasn't working. Yeah. So ATPS is super important then. It's pretty important. Yeah. Ideally, you don't have an engine fail during takeoff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if something goes wrong and you do have an engine failure, you want as many systems helping you as possible. And this is just one of those systems that's supposed to help you avoid a tragedy like this. TransAsia did not have a clearly documented company policy with associated instructions, procedures, and notices to crew for the ATR 72600 operations communicating the requirement to reject the takeoff if the automatic takeoff power control system did not arm. So again, they have no clear policy saying if it doesn't arm to reject the takeoff. Mm-hmm. Following the uncommanded auto feather of engine number two, the flight crew failed to perform the documented failure identification procedure before executing any actions. That resulted in pilot flying's confusion regarding the identification and nature of the actual propulsion system malfunction. He reduced power on operative engine number one. Again, it's just saying, they didn't run their checklist before they started doing stuff. You know, mm. ideally, it's like you identify what the problem is and you run your checklist before you just start like trying to troubleshoot it. Yeah, checklists are there for a reason. It's a weird kind of um, thing when you think about. I was thinking about driving a car and then like some a warning signal comes on your car. 
we don't have all the auto driving mechanics so it's hard to think about just being like yep just leave the car and start trouble it's a weird well i might be able to give you an analogy that works right okay like let's say you're driving down the road and your low gas light comes on the first thing you do is you don't immediately go straight to the gas station you might think have i put gas in recently you might think like oh i Mm -hmm. put gas in yesterday or this morning there's no way i'm already low on gas the light's probably malfunctioning you don't just automatically jump to the end solution yeah, it's not quite the same thing, but that might be the closest thing I can think of. Yeah, it's 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 just a it's hard to think of in car terms because so much less is automated. Yeah, I mean, it's like you, when you see a light pop on, you think about it. You're like, is that really what's going on, or is there something else happening? The loss of power from both engines was not detected and corrected by the crew in time to restart an engine. The aircraft stalled during the attempted restart at an altitude from which the aircraft could not recover from loss of control. So remember the pilot flying says to restart the engine, but at that point, they were too low and going too slow. There's no way they didn't have time to restart the engine. Flight crew coordination, communication, and threat and error management were less than effective and compromised the safety of the flight. Both operating crew members failed to obtain relevant data from each other regarding the status of both engines at different points in the occurrence sequence. The pilot flying did not appropriately respond to or integrate input from the pilot monitoring. So again, it's just like they weren't on the same page. And the pilot flying didn't pay attention to what the pilot monitoring was telling him. So there were some other findings as well. TransAsia Airways did not use widely available crew resource management guidelines to develop, implement, reinforce, and assess the effectiveness of their flight crew CRM training program. So again, this is one of the things we talk about all the time. Crew resource management, CRM, that communication is key in preventing tragedies like this. Yeah, good communication. Yep, you need it. The ATR-72-600 training records for this flight crew show that the pilot flying probably needed more training on the single-engine flameout at takeoff procedure. Well, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like he did the right thing, just the wrong engines. <laughs> yeah, he didn't necessarily do the right thing. I want to reinforce that. He yeah. should have left autopilot on and should have run his checklist. Yeah. The pilot flying's performance during this occurrence was consistent with his performance weaknesses noted during his training, including his continued difficulties in handling emergency and or abnormal situations, including engine flameout at takeoff and single-engine operations. However, TransAsia Airways did not effectively address the evident and imminent flight safety risk. So he had a problem in his training with this? Yeah, he had problems. He had to redo some training a few times, and he just, I I don't know what to say about that, right? Like, he wasn't the best pilot. Yeah. Uh, And then there there were some recommendations to TransAsia Airways. Document a clear company policy with the associated instructions, procedures, training, and notices to crew members for ATR-72600 operations, communicating the requirement to reject a takeoff in the event that the automatic takeoff power control system is not armed as required. So just telling them, you got to tell your crew to reject takeoff if the ATPCS Mm -hmm. isn't working right. Conduct a thorough review of the airline's flight crew training programs, including recurrent training, crew resource management training, upgrade training, differences training, and devise systematic measures to ensure that standardized flight crew check and training are conducted, all flight crews comply with standard operating procedure, all flight crews are proficient in handling abnormal and emergency procedures, including engine flame out at takeoff. So just telling them, reinforce your training, get better training. Yeah. Implement and document an effective and formal pilot performance review program to identify and manage pilots whose performance is marginal. So just keep an eye on your pilots who aren't the best and, you know, reinforce the training and review them. Yeah, so once someone is like, oh, you're a pilot, but still kind of keep keep up with them. Right. Reinforce the things that they're weak at to help them be better. Yeah. And then they had some recommendations to the Civil Aeronautics Administration. It was review airline safety oversight measures to ensure that safety deficiencies are identified and addressed in an effective and timely manner. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
conduct a detailed review of the regulatory oversight of TransAsia Airways to identify and ensure that the known operational safety deficiencies, including crew non-compliance with procedures, non-standard training practices, and unsatisfactory safety management are addressed effectively. So again, keep an eye on potential problems and address them. Common sense things, but just needing to reinforce this. Provide inspectors with detailed guidance on how to evaluate the effectiveness of operator non-technical training programs, such as crew resource management and threat and error management training programs. Then they had a recommendation to Pratt & Whitney, who's the uh, manufacturer of the, uh, the engines. Work with manufacturers of the auto feather unit and airframe to assess the current operating parameters and aircraft risks associated with the PW127 series engine auto feather unit to minimize or prevent occurrences that could result in uncommanded auto feather. So just work to try to make sure that uncommanded auto feather doesn't happen again. Did they not recall or like look into that plane's wiring system on that? Yeah, I mean, they, you know, they're after something like this, they definitely are going to go through and you know, look at all of the units that have been manufactured and make sure there's not a problem. It reminds me, honestly, of that Qantas um, A380 flight episode we did where um, the oil pipe, you know, burst and caused an engine to to fail. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they have to go through all of the engines that have been manufactured for that plane and look mm-hmm. at them all to make sure that, you know, the, the oil stub pipe is okay. Uh, same kind of thing here, you know, when there's a problem and they can identify it's a recurring problem, they're going to go through and look at all the engines to make sure they're okay. Yeah. Were there any others besides that that were identified as, oh, this wasn't soldered correctly? I wasn't able to find any specific information about that. I don't, I can't say for certain. I don't know. Uh, those are the only two that I know of. And in the report that the ASC wrote, they noted that these two failures occurred at 1,624 flight hours and 1,206 flight hours, which is, you know, relatively soon after they got put into service. But I can't, I, those are the only two that are mentioned in the, in the report. Okay. So I, I, I can't say for certain that it didn't happen. So I don't, I don't know. I'm sorry. So the Civil Aeronautics Administration announced it would subject all TransAsia Airway ATR pilots to supplementary proficiency tests between February 7th and 10th, resulting in the cancellation of more than 100 TransAsia flights. So basically, they just, all the pilots of this kind of plane, they told them we need to do more, uh, more testing. And they, they ended up having to cancel a bunch of flights because of it. Oh. Every pilot who could fly this kind of plane had to do these tests. And uh, 10 pilots who failed the engine out oral test and a further 19 who did not attend were suspended for one month pending retest. Mm. TransAsia subsequently demoted one pilot from captain to first officer. And you said there were several that just didn't take... Didn't show up. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine that. Yeah, wow. Reuters reported that the government ordered all Taiwanese airlines to review their safety protocols. Uh, the Taiwanese Civil Aeronautics Administration announced that it's focusing its attention on TransAsia's training and operations and the country's labor ministry fined the airline for breaches of the labor code over excessive working hours. On February 11th, TransAsia offered 14.9 million new Taiwan dollars, which is about uh, 475,000 US dollars, in compensation to the family for each of the dead. This amount includes emergency relief and funeral allowance, totaling 1.4 million new Taiwan dollars, which is about 44,300 US dollars that was already paid to each family. This was actually the second fatal accident in a seven-month period for TransAsia Airlines. And uh, that was this was pretty much the end of the airline. The airline ceased its operation and shut down oh. indefinitely November 22nd, 2016. So, I mean, it was a year and a half later that the airline shut down, but they never, you know, their image never fully recovered from having these two fatal incidents seven months apart. The airline just stopped being a thing. I mean, I feel yeah. like that happens to a lot of the airlines we talk about because there's a reason they're having problems. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's sad to say, right? But it's like, 
these things just kind of compound. Like mm-hmm. an accident leads to maybe less travelers, which leads to less revenue, which might lead to cutting corners, which leads to more accidents. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a vicious cycle that just will continue itself. The the solution is just to have, you know, a super focus on safety and procedures to avoid any of that happening in the first place. You know, yeah. then people trust you more, you get more passengers. It's, you know, it's an easy thing to say, but it's actually difficult to do, you know, because you might fall into that, like a sense of security, a false sense of security, like, oh, we never have problems. And, you know, you don't have problems because you're so diligent about <laughs> it. Uh, so it, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to deal with. But that is uh, TransAsia Flight 235. Awful, awful incident. And uh, then from not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's tough to deal with the fact that if the pilot flying had just not touched anything, everything would have been okay. It's upsetting, but I don't know, it just makes you sad. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a testament to how yeah. how safe planes are. You know, if you just yeah. trust in the plane and trust in the process, it's a safe thing. It's like sometimes bad decisions on a human part is what uh, is what kind of messes things up. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like lots of times humans are also the reason that planes get saved. You know, we've we've definitely mm-hmm. covered incidents where you know pilots have to fight against the computer or have to do things. Yeah, that, that's true. You know, the computer wouldn't be able to do, and you know, it's like it's a balance. You do need. You need to make sure that there are skilled humans in the cockpit and that they yeah. know what they're doing and that they're comfortable in the situation and they've been trained and that they can handle it. Yeah. Uh, I, for one, would not want to fly on a plane. That's entirely automated. I, w- <laughs> I want to make sure that there's, you know, a skilled human pilot in there, you know, taking control and taking care of things. I, I agree. <laughs> I don't want to be in an all automated. No. Yeah. We're not there yet. Maybe one day. Not yet. So I do want to remind everyone to follow us on social media. Of course, we've like we've said forever, we have Twitter and Instagram at BlackBoxDownPod. We also uh, just recently launched Facebook as well. You can connect mm-hmm. with us there. Let's look for BlackBoxDown uh, on your wherever you wherever you listen to podcasts and wherever you consume social media. Hopefully, we'll be there for you. <laughs> but I can say we're definitely on on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Yeah, and uh, we got a, a nice Facebook message from. Uh, guy named Derek, uh, who said uh, he, he listens to the podcast with his son, his eight-year-old son. He asked his son if uh, listening to it makes him afraid to get on a plane, and his answer is, no, Gus says it's the safest form of travel, and I learned how these accidents make the next flight that much safer. It's a really sweet message. Yeah, so maybe recommend it to someone with kids. Yeah. Yeah, or, or if you're your kids yourself. Yeah, give it a listen and give it a share. All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.